Christian that is saved is a saint. Uh, unlike what you hear at the Catholic Church or somewhere else, saints are just the saved. And then the shepherds are the ones we're going to talk about today. The pastor, that's the word shepherd. Servants then, that's the word deacon. And uh, as I was saying last week, we should all be deeks. We should all be deeks. We should all be servants, every one of us. The word minister means servant. The word pastor means servant. Uh, here comes some more folks coming in. Uh, they're finding their way to their class. But pastor means servant. Deacon means servant. And, uh, and so they're just servants. And, you know, that's kind of how our government originally was patterned after, was biblical concepts. And, um, you know, we used to have the idea of public servant. Uh, that's not how they're acting today. And that's what happens with, when, with human nature. And you get away from the Bible and from something that keeps you in check. And so Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul and Timotheus, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And so there we have those two offices mentioned right there. The word bishop is another word for pastor. And so if you're on the page that says two offices in the biblical local church, number one would be pastor. And he's also considered bishop, elder, overseer, shepherd. Those are all Bible words that are used to describe the same person, the same position, <clears throat> not different positions or different offices. Then deacon. Deacon is minister, servant, waiter, uh, like waiting on tables. We talked about that last week. And, uh, and so those are the two positions. Today we're talking about pastor. So the local church pastor, local church pastor, what is it? And so we back up to Ephesians, a couple pages, Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captives and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that but he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended in the, is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fulfill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Let me just quickly explain the five different things that are listed here. Apostles, if you were with us on Sunday night recently, in, in, in a month or two ago, we talked about the different apostles, the 12 apostles. Apostles had to be someone who actually saw the Lord face to face. They saw him with their own eyes. We don't have any apostles today, but we did. And, uh, and yet we still have the apostles in one sense because we have the writings of the apostles. The same thing with prophets. In the Old Testament and in the Bible times, prophets were those who would preach and they would prophesy. Because the Bible is complete, we no longer have those out prophesying in the sense of prophesying future, foretelling the future. But they are still foretelling the word of God. And so the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles are still with us in the very word of God. The writings of the prophets in the Old Testament, the writings of the apostles in the New Testament, we still have them. They're still here. But on top of that, we still have, humanly speaking, in human form, we still have evangelists. We call them missionaries 
But evangelists are people who go out to a foreign area or a new territory or to a territory that does not have a church, and they begin to witness and to sp- spread the gospel and to start churches and uh, begin to uh, see people saved, then baptized, and then a collective group is. And that, if you read the book of Acts, that's what happened. And uh, the evangelist in the book of Acts, there was one was Philip. He also was a deacon, but he was an evangelist. He was kind of like what they call a church planter. I don't know that church planter is as is as uh, good of a definition as just we evangelize. And then after we evangelize, we see people saved and we see people baptized. And then eventually that little group wants a church. And so a church becomes established. They, they call a pastor. So evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so the local church sends out evangelists to, to uh, help with other communities and to go all over as well as right at home. And we're all to be evangelists in a sense evangelizing but then there are pastors and teachers and that's that's a person who doesn't travel but is staying in one area and so Paul and Timothy Paul and Timotheus we read in Philippians 1 Paul would have been the evangelist Timothy would have been the local church pastor that stayed in Ephesus and pastored the church in Ephesus and that's where you get the book Ephesians from that we're reading from right now so you have pastors and teachers all right and so that's where it's saying now what's it for what's the point what's the point of this pastor Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's their their job. He gave us the apostles and prophets. Now we have the writings. Why? To perfect the saints, the work of the ministry, edifying or building up the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's a lot of words there, but I always think of a chiropractor when I read that passage. Why? Because a chiropractor is trying to line you up with the head. The head is the head, and everything needs to line up with it. And everything gets lined up with it, gets straightened out. Things work better and function better. Well, the head is Jesus Christ. And the whole body is the church. And we are to get back into position, back into place. Sometimes we get out of place. We get something out of joint. We need it popped back in. And that's what the chiropractor does. And so a pastor... Is to, be, is to be helping people with these different things. That's his job, for the perfecting of the saints. As long as Mr. Spear is with us, I'll always have a job. Perfecting the saints, right there, you see it? All right, the work of the ministry, the work of the ministry. There's a work to be done. And so his, his job is to administrate and to lead and to, uh, and to see that that gets done. The edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man, till we all become perfect. And since that's not going to happen anytime soon, there'll always be a need for pastors and churches. And Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That we be henceforth no more children or immature, tossed about and carried about with every wind of doctrine. False doctrines are everywhere. And they're pulling people aside and deceiving people. And so he is to speak the truth. He's to speak the truth in love, that they would grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 
whole body fitly joined together. That's the, that's the position. That's the job. That's what needs to happen. So that, that's a good passage to look at when we're talking about pastor because that's what God left him for is to see that local church in order, in position. And so Ephesians is written to Timothy as the pastor and also to Timothy's people as the church. So a local pastor is an under-shepherd. Where, where do we get that from? We'll go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 1 through 5. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, Peter says. Verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you. Flock is a sheep term. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, now who do you think the chief shepherd is? Capital S, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the under shepherd then would be the pastor, who also the, the word also means shepherd. He's pastor's not the chief shepherd. Pastor didn't die on the cross for you, and pastor isn't perfect, and pastor doesn't know everything. He's just the under shepherd. <clears throat> the local pastor is the under shepherd to the chief shepherd. That's his job is to feed the flock. Verse five. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. So we have that passage. We have some other passages that show the idea of, of being a shepherd and, and paying attention and watching over the flock. Uh, I'll not go to these other passages now. I think I'll hit them later. But the word pastor, elder, he called himself an elder, Peter did, and he was. Uh, and there, were more than one, there was more than one. Bishop, overseer, they're not three different offices. They're all in one. And the word pastor is also the word shepherd. Elder, as we saw in this passage, it's the idea of being older, respect your elders, being senior. And, uh, you know, we, we always usually prefer the elders and allow the elders to go first. And, and the, the senior citizens usually get a discount and usually get a better seat. And why? Because they're seniors, all right? Now, this does not necessarily mean that the oldest person in the room has to be the pastor. Right, Delmer? But what it means is, is that you would, you would assume that the pastor has some seasoned experience, not a novice as we're going to see, but he, he is someone who has some seniority, I guess you could say. And especially in those early days, it was easy because I'm sure the older men were the more mature spiritually men. It's not always the case today, but we're talking spiritually speaking here, not just age-wise. But elder, it's the idea of seniority or as an authority. The word presbytery or presbytos is where that word elder comes from. And it's the idea of having some authority and some experience in that way. First Timothy, if you want to go over there for a minute, First Timothy chapter number 4. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee which is given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. He's talking to Timothy, saying the older men, the elders, the presbytery, laid their hands on thee and ordained you. We ordained a young man just recently in our own church. And the idea is that the elders do that or those that are 
in seniority or have a more uh, seasoned uh, uh, experience about spiritual things. Then go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We see another passage concerning elders and pastors and good place to look. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 17. Paul had determined to sail to Ephesus. That's where you get the book of Ephesians from because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hasted if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. That's verse 16, Acts 20. Now verse 17, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And it is possible to have more than one pastor or elder in a church. It is possible. I don't think it's necessary all the time, but it is possible. And he called the elders of that church. And and then he spoke to them several things. And he got down to verse 28, and here's what he said. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock. There's that sheep word again, flock, the idea of elders being a shepherd. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Notice that the pastors and the elders need to pay attention to themselves. There's always a need for a pastor to do to do preaching to himself, to to do a self check and not just inspect the flock and neglect himself. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. So that's our, our other word, bishop, is the idea of overseer or taking the oversight thereof. We saw there in 1 Peter 5, taking the oversight. Well, the pastor, he's just sticking his nose in my business. Well, are you calling him pastor? Because if you're calling him pastor, then you are his business. Uh, if, if, you're, if you join that church, and that, that's, that's, that's his business now. Now, it doesn't mean that he's supposed to stick his nose in every detail, but he's taking the oversight. He's paying attention, or he should be paying attention to what's going on. How are you doing? Hey, how are things going? To take the oversight, to be overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. I don't understand churches who have a preaching pastor and then a different pastor. for. I I don't understand that because how can the preaching pastor really preach the, the messages as that needs to be preached if he's not taking the oversight. Well, your job is to just preach and we'll do the other. Listen, I think a pastor needs to make sure that he's feeding the people according to what they need to be fed and needs to know what they need to be fed. Who better to know what the sheep need than the shepherd? Now, he's not the chief shepherd, but he's the human shepherd to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. All right, so pastor, shepherd, elder, as senior, seniority, or as an authority, uh, presbyter, whatever you want to say there, bishop, overseer, taking the oversight. Now let's look at God's standards for the pastor. We talked about standards for deacons last week. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. God gives standards in his word concerning pastors and deacons. And I think you'll notice the pastors have a longer list than even the deacons. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, notice it says in verse 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop or pastor, overseer, elder, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Notice he must be a man. He must be a man. Look at the previous chapter, verses uh, 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, That's not saying that a woman's never allowed to talk the whole time she's in a church service or in a building that is called a church or ever. Husbands, you can't show that verse to your wife at home and say, look, you're supposed to be quiet all the time. 
but to usurp authority over the man. We have Sunday school teachers. We even have some lady Sunday school teachers, but they're not teaching any men. They're teaching children because we recognize that that verse says what it says, and so we need to be careful. I remember hearing, I don't know if it was Joyce Myers or one of these other women preachers was preaching a sermon. I didn't listen to the sermon, of course, but I heard that this happened. And she would call on people, hey, I need you to read this verse. I need you to read this verse. And she told somebody to read, I think it was 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. And the person accidentally turned to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 and stood up and read it. Talk about awkward. Uh, because it says, I suffer not a woman to teach or you super authority over a man. Here she is, a woman preacher, standing there teaching and preaching to the men. God's standards for a pastor is to be a man. That would be a given, except in recent years we see more and more of that. And then also, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, desires the office of a bishop. And then chapter 4 and verse 12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Titus chapter number 1, uh, and so we go to Titus and a few pages over, Titus chapter 1 and starting in verse 5. For this cause I left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and certain and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. If any be the blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And then Acts chapter 13. Keep, you can, we're going to go back to 1 Timothy 3, but Acts chapter 13, one other place. This shows what the church did when it came time to figure out who was called and who was supposed to go. Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaeum, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. So they, being sent by the Holy Ghost, departed. What I'm trying to get here is point number two. They must have a recognized calling. The church needs to recognize the calling. No man can just declare himself to be a pastor. According to the Bible, the church needs to recognize it. If the church doesn't recognize it, then he needs to recognize that maybe he needs to wait or maybe he's mistaken. And so it needs to be a recognized calling. The church needs to ratify it. The church needs to ordain it, ordain him. And so it must have a recognized calling. You know, you can, you can go online and get a pastor certificate now, and you can just call yourself a pastor, and then you can advertise in the paper or whatever that you you're you know you're available to, to marry people or whatever uh, you know it might be. Um, but no matter what the world says, the Bible still has its standard, uh, and we we're looking at it today. First Timothy chapter three again, and now we see he must be qualified. And so I'm just going to read these verses all in in entirety. 
Verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, what does that mean? Not newly saved lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into, a, a, the, into reproach and the snare of the devil. So he has, there's qualifications here. He has to meet those. Those are things he needs to be uh, in his life. And blameless, number four, blameless, must be blameless. It doesn't mean perfect, as I was saying last week concerning the deacons. But the idea of without a handcuffed situation. Uh, he, he doesn't, he's not handcuffed by something. There isn't something in his past that constantly haunts him or follows him. Uh, in his marriage, <clears throat> the husband of one wife, that again, rules out women, regardless of what they're saying today. Uh, and, and one wife, uh, not two wives or a former wife plus a new wife or something like that. And uh, if you say, well, I just think it's okay for a pastor to be divorced and remarried, you might think that, but I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe the Bible teaches that. And if I go on vacation and a couple of weeks from now I come back and I have a new wife, I'm sure somebody in here is going to have a problem with that. And you, you might say, well, what's going on? Well, look, I went on vacation. It's my business what I do on vacation. Well, what happened to Miss Wilma? We got divorced. Well, who's that lady? We got married. Shut up and mind your own business. All right, let's open up the Bible. I think somebody would have a problem with that. And I don't think it changes even if you spread it out by months or years. I think it's still the same problem. I'm not picking on people who have had, had that horrible experience. But I do think the Bible lays things out for us and we need to pay attention. So his marriage, then his family Verse 4, one that ruleth well his house, his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his house, his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Boy, the family, the family is, is the example of, the, of what the preacher says he believes and what the preacher is trying to teach. And it, it ought to be able to be backed up in his family. And we, we have slid so far in, in our, our, what we've become accustomed to with, with our leadership. Um, I, I mean, politicians, you know, it used to be that if a, if a politician had a son or daughter that was involved in some kind of a scandal, that was noticeable and we, whoa, what's going on here? And today it's like, that's just none of our, well, you know what, I, I, think, I think it comes from the Bible, the idea that, man, if a guy can't take care of his own family, how, how's he going to take care of us? And how, I mean, if, if his own, if the kids that he loves and cares for and feeds and spanks, don't follow him. How's anybody else supposed to? I realize I'm causing a problem for a lot of people, but the Bible's still the Bible. Titus chapter number one and verse six says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly. And so I would, I would, if I had ch children like that, I would step down and I would say, you're going to have to find someone else to be pastor. Um, I might stick around long enough for you to find that new person, but I would take that very seriously. At the same time, I never used that on my kids. I didn't say, you better behave or I'm going to lose my job. That'd be dumb. 
putting that kind of pressure on the kids. They had to know that they were important because they were my kids and they were my responsibility, not because of my job. And um, that's, that's something we take seriously. It's more important to me than anything. Other than my marriage, it's more important than anything, my career or anything, uh, is my, and my children, my family, and take it very serious. And then his personal life, verse 2 and 3, a bishop then must be blameless, husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, has the aptitude for teaching. Doesn't mean he's the greatest teacher in the world, but he can. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. All right, then also, as I just said, number five, apt, able, fit to teach. And number six, and, and not everybody is. If, if the Lord hasn't gifted someone with the ability to teach, they need to recognize, hey, you know what? I'm not supposed to be a pastor. Maybe God has me to be something else. And there are many things that people are without being in the public eye. I'm so thankful for the saints in our own local church who are so talented and so gifted and so faithful behind the scenes, and yet they're not necessarily apt to teach. But if you are apt to teach, even if you aren't a pastor, we always can use and want more teachers. Uh, we're not necessarily, you know, in case anyone's wondering, you do not have to be a FERS to be a Sunday school teacher at Mountain View Baptist Church. That's in case someone's wondering that. All right, uh, number six, must hold to the apostles' doctrine. Must hold to the apostles' doctrine. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Titus chapter 1, verse 9, faithful and to the word and sound doctrine. Uh, they, they didn't drift. They stayed with the word of God, the Bible, the apostles. Not man's doctrine, but apostles means inspired word of God doctrine. And then number seven, must be able to deal with false teaching. Must be able to handle it. Again, Titus chapter 1. Uh, we see Titus chapter 1, um, verse 9 through 11. And I'll just try to get there and, and read it to you. Titus 1, verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. And the circumcision is referring to the Jews who were not Christians and who were causing a whole lot of trouble for them, especially uh, there in the book of Acts. You can see about all about that. And so they had to be able to... and. That's one of his necessary qualifications. He needs to be able to deal with that. And then I already mentioned number eight, not a novice, not a young convert. Maybe they're a good man, but they're just just—they're still kind of young in the faith and a little bit uh, green and they need some time. And so it's important that you don't stick someone into that role before they are mature and ready and as we talked about, elder. Number nine, must have a good report. And I think that means a good report in the community, a good report of them which are without. doesn't mean that everybody likes him. In fact, if everybody likes your pastor, he's probably not doing a good job. But he needs to have a good report. I mean, there's nothing uh, that, that they can say negative-wise uh, about. I love it when um, someone says, hey, I need my yard work done, and I heard that Sam's the guy. I like that. You know, uh, hey, and 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 work and recommendation or word of mouth—that's that's good. Um, a good report. You know, 
uh, oh, I can't go to that church. That pastor's too straight. But I'll tell you what, his kids are good workers. You can hire them. Or you know, That's a good report. I mean, maybe they don't like the Bible or whatever, but that's that's okay. Uh, must have a good report. Uh, uh, I went to, to Rapid Chevrolet years ago and bought an Astro van because our family kept growing. And so we had to give up our little Subaru and we had to get an Astro van. And so I uh, looked at this Astro, uh, looked at this van and, and never really considered an Astro, but it, it, it was priced, it was about the cheapest thing on the lot. And it was only about a, uh, an 11 months old. It, I think it was a rental. It had like 18,000 miles on it. It was 11 months old. I uh, had a cigarette burn in the passenger seat. But other than that, it was in pretty good shape, still under warranty with the low miles. And it was the closest thing to new I'd ever looked at. And I thought, you know, what maybe maybe this is gonna work and so uh, uh the the sales lady you know she's talking to me about it and i said uh well you know i think we're interested could you find out what kind of interest rates or whatever and and she said well we're gonna need to run your credit score and i said i have a good credit score she said yeah that's what all the pastors say that's what she said like i've heard that before and i thought that's a shame but it's true i mean, i think pastors sometimes have a terrible credit score and they're not the only ones so fortunately, they ran it, and, and there was a good credit score. But, you know, there, there needs to be bills paid. Um, if your pastor is always changing his cell phone number every year, there might be a red flag. Um, bills paid and, and people not chasing after him and collecting whatever. I've had some horror stories. I've heard some horror stories. I told you that my dad was pastor in Gillette, Wyoming, and he was there for five years. But before he got there, that church had had 11 pastors in 13 years something's wrong literally two pastors before him was a guy that was an amazing speaker i mean he could keep you on the edge of your seat and tell you stories and he'd been around the block and he lived kind of a wild life unfortunately he was still living some of it and uh he he was there for i think six months and then he was gone and he left uh uh a, a wake of mess and as he when he left and uh and people started of course complaining about him after he left and the one guy said yeah i kind of wondered about him when i went to go get him because they had sent him to go help him move his stuff and he said when i went to go get him i had to bail him out of jail and everybody just looked at him you didn't say anything well he said not to he said it wasn't his fault some people i'm telling you i don't know sometimes i wonder if people get what they deserve sometimes but anyway there's horror stories out there no wonder people don't trust pastors no wonder pastors don't trust people because there's all this not doing what god gave us to do and that is just obey what the bible says if god's called you to be a pastor do what the bible says if god's called you to be somebody else other than the pastor do what the bible says and if we'll all do what we're supposed to do it'll, it'll make a huge difference but then there's also a qualification for the pastor's wife he must have a godly wife. It says here uh, down in verse 10, let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. That's talking about the deacons, but it's likewise, the idea of likewise in verse 8. And so the pastor's wife, the deacon's wives are expected to be these things, a, a husband of a wife, good, uh, good behavior, a good report, and I told you last week that that word in verse 11, not slanderers, is diabolos. Well, diabolos is devil, and slander and gossip is devilish. And boy, I tell you, there are some good men that have some lousy wives, and it ruins his ministry when that happens. 
All right. So we look at those things that pastors should be and uh, take that seriously. I mean, go to the Bible. I hope you're not looking for a pastor anytime soon because if you are, that means I either got kicked out or I died. But when it's time to look for a pastor, you need to go to the Bible and find out what does the Bible say and what should we expect. And you shouldn't say, well, we want someone like our other pastor or we, or we want someone opposite. No, just go to the Bible and find what the Bible says. And don't, don't turn it into some kind of personality uh, election. All right, what responsibility does the church have towards their pastor? I told you about these horror stories and how that there's, there's been some awful stories and people that have gotten so hurt and burned and they don't trust pastor. And, and eventually pastors get burnt out and don't trust people maybe. And, and it becomes a, a real, a real stag, stagnant and uh, stalemate and, and nothing's getting done for God. But when things are right, when everyone's doing right, Boy, it's a wonderful thing. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. We're to respect and love them. We're to respect them and love them. Um, it doesn't mean that we think they're perfect. And if you love them, you'll tell them the truth and you'll warn them if there's something they need to know. Respect and love them. Also, in Ephesians chapter 4 and 11 and 12, we talked about how that it talked about for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. But then Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7 and verse 17 Hebrews 13 and verse 7, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. One of the many things that's wrong with the Catholic Church is they, they think that you can have bishops and cardinals and popes that never, ever talk to you as an individual Catholic. That's not the way God set it up. God set it up for a local church to have a local church pastor, leader, bishop, that you, you know them and they know you, who've spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. How do you follow the Pope's family? He doesn't have one. But whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, considering how it turned out for them in their life, that they're living their lifestyle and what's going on there. And by the way, be careful when you take advice from people who have had children or who have raised children. I think you're just plain Jane wise. Sorry, Mrs. Legal, I keep saying that. So I'm, I think you're just plain vanilla wise to look and say, well, do I really want to take this person's advice? Look at their kids. Whose faith follow? Why not, if the pastor's family is doing right, why not just follow that? considering the end of their conversation. So the second one is obey. Obey their biblical teaching. doesn't mean you obey everything the pastor's, you know, every whim or every opinion. But when it's straightforward from the Bible, it needs to be followed. And then that goes along with the next word, submit. Submit to their scriptural oversight. Verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves 
for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. You know what? You could say that verse for a parent with a child. Children are to obey their parents and they're to submit to their parents. Why? Because they're watching over you. They're really, believe it or not, they really are concerned for you. They're not trying to make your life miserable as teenagers like to accuse them of. No, because they're going to give an account. <clears throat> they're the parent. You're the child. They're trying to protect you. And the same thing with a pastor. If he's doing his job correctly and he loves his people, submit to their oversight and be, take it seriously. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to run out of time. I'm going to have to talk a little faster. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. I mean, just check it out. You know, take a look at the pastor's family. Take a look and say, you know what, can I, is this what I want to follow their example? As Peter said, <clears throat> uh, that we lead them by example, not as lords, but as examples. Follow their example. Obey them that have the rule over you and, and submit yourselves. Uh, whose faith follow, follow them. Boy, if you're not following the pastor, you're, you're just wasting a lot of time for everybody. Then pray for them. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. Pray for them. You won't hate people if you pray for people. If you're praying for someone, it's hard to hate them and be resistant. Um, praying for them. There's a lot of pa passages about praying for them. And then it also says here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 and 18, provide for their physical needs. 1 Timothy 5, 17, that the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. What is that saying? Well, if you've got an ox and he's hooked to a harness, and he's hooked to a, a grain mill, and the ox is going around in a circle as the grain is being ground in the center, and he's the power, and he's grinding it, but some of that grain falls on the ground. Don't whip the ox if he gets down and eats some of the grain. Why? Because he's working. And don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn, and, and uh, if you can pay the pastor, pay him. You don't need to pay him too much. Maybe over time you might recognize him a little bit as most people would for anything. But you know how hindering it is for, for a church to, to grow if the pastor is, is having to barely make ends meet and, and, and pay his bills or whatever it might be or, or trying to figure out how to get to work because his car died. Um, and so provide for their physical needs. It'll be a blessing to him, but it'll be a blessing to you because you're taking care of them. 1 Corinthians 9, 13, and 14 talks about the temple system or the tabernacle and how that the priests would live of the things that were brought in. That's how they, that's how they lived and uh, ate and were taken care of. So what, th what happens when churches don't take care of their responsibilities? Um, well, all I can say is, it's unprofitable for you. As Hebrews 13, 17 says, that's unprofitable for you. You don't want to be in this group. So obey and respect and love and follow and provide, and you'll be blessed as a result of it. 
And uh, praise the Lord, that has been the case here, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for just the the blessing that it has been to be here for over 20 years now. And, uh, And yet we teach this not because it's not happening, but because it's in the Bible and we need to be reminded of it. I think sometimes people say, well, you know, this new pastor, we need to watch him. So we're going to, someone said, I heard, you know, pastor, uh, you know, it's our job. It's our job to keep you humble. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not so true. Uh, maybe it's God's job to keep him humble. And maybe you're to just do your job and take care of him. And uh, I don't think the pastor should drive a Rolls Royce when everybody else is getting to church in a jalopy. Uh, I don't think the pastor should have the nicest of everything, and I've seen that. I've seen I've I've seen it where the pastor had a brand new pickup sitting in the and the people in the church, you know, are driving this beat up thing, and I just was troubled by it because it just seems a little odd. Um, but at the same time, it would be awful, wouldn't it, if the pastor was driving the July? And I'm not complaining about. It. I like my truck, I do. Uh, but I'm just saying we need to be careful and make sure that we are respecting. And, and the more you respect and love the pastor, the more he's going to love you, and the more it's going to be a benefit to the community. And when it isn't, it's a shame in the community and a horrible testimony. So if we'll do our job, if God just called you to be a faithful saint, be a faithful saint. If he wants you to be a deacon, be a faithful deacon. And if he's called you to be a pastor, be a faithful pastor. But whatever you do, play your position and play it well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. Thank you for opportunity to learn and be reminded and to be challenged from it. Help us to just follow your word in everything we do. May we never stray from it and help us to just realize that that's it. We just need to do what you told us to do and and then it's on you to do the rest. So help us not to get out of position but to just play the role you've given us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you're part of the men's singing group, we need to meet in the piano room.